Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Grams. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2204 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing our series of messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week three of a nine-week series titled, What Does God Want? This series reveals that God desires us to be part of His family as His image bearers. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Last week we continued our series in the overall theme of the Bible, What Does God Want? In the answer we discovered this past month that God wants you, and He wants every person who has ever lived. In other words, God wanted a human family God wanted co-workers to take care of the earth that he had created specifically for them. God wants you and wants you to know that your life has value to him, that he loves you and he desires that you also love him in return. Last week's message was a high-level overview of the nation of Israel from the escape from Egypt until they came back from exile in Babylon. It was certainly a high level, but we touched on some crucial points. We learned that even though God, God's family had betrayed him, he still loved them. And he pursued them regardless of their reaction to the, him. There was only one solution left. In order to maintain a human family, and that was for God to become human, to have a family that he desired and loved. And that's precisely what happened. Today we will see that God joined his human family. Now, Christians know all about Jesus. We know that about the miraculous birth of Mary, that young girl who was a virgin, as we're told in Matthew chapter 1, and even the broader culture knows about this miraculous birth. Jesus in the manger, especially around Christmas time with Christmas decorations and nativity sets, we hear several old but very popular songs celebrate how Jesus, the Messiah, in the Old Testament prophecies, came to earth. But there's more to Jesus than just that nativity set, or even the cross. The entire focus is typically on Jesus, how he was born into the world to eventually die on the cross. He would be our means for forgiveness for our sins, and thus, he is our passage, our way back into God's family. As we read those popular verses, those well-known verses, John 3, 16 and 17, for, God is how, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, when most Christians think about Jesus, the cross comes to mind. We wear crosses, we have crosses in our home at times, but that misses something if we just think about the cross itself. The fact that God became man in Jesus gets a little lost by too much focus just on the cross. What we have to realize, and most of us don't realize that it was necessary for God to become a human for many reasons. To fulfill the Old Testament covenants, those promises that he made, with Noah and Abraham and David and Moses. It was also to re overturn the results of those supernatural rebellions which we talked about a couple weeks ago. The hope that humans could be 
One day, in God's family, there was only one way left. God could not scrap his plan for humanity or eliminate humanity altogether because he created them to have a human family, to care for the creation that he had made. So he kept returning to humanity, offering them forgiveness and a relationship with him. We see this over and over in the Old Testament. God wanted each believer to love him, to believe in him, and to live in harmony with him and each other. But God's children rejected him in nearly every turn. It's as though God said, you can still be with me. Just believe that, and then show me where your heart is. But we see throughout the Old Testament, it seemed like the problem only worsened. The Bible uses the analogy of wandering sheep with no shepherd to describe the propensity both in the New Testament and the Old Testament of how humans act. Isaiah chapter 53, 6 said, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And then speaking of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And isn't that pretty much on target? How the human race is, we seek for satisfaction, and satisfaction is only found in our relationship with God. And as I noted in last week's message, God's children needed new hearts, God's presence to be with them and to, so that they could believe. They needed a way to be saved from themselves and their destiny. Because if they didn't, they would not have everlasting life with God who loved them so dearly. There had to be a way for God to honor all his covenant promises that he made in the Old Testament and then reverse that curse of death and to help his people to continue in their walk of faith. God's solutions to these problems had to be radical. So radical that no one truly anticipated what was going to happen. He had to become a man. He had to join the human race. And that's where the story of Jesus begins. Jesus was God who became a human. There are several passages in the New Testament that talks about this. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. But let me read one that we went over in our study of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 14. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And then verse 14, So the Word became human and made his home among us, and was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Better translation than this is his unique Son. One of a kind. None other like him. Jesus was the solution to every one of the obstacles that God faced with the Old Testament saints from the time of creation forward. Because only dying on our behalf, all of humanity, the death, the curses, the covenants, the rebellions could be, then be reversed. That meant that because death had to be followed by a resurrection something only God could accomplish. Jesus was the solution to what happened 
in that Garden of Eden that brought death upon all of humanity. The reverse that, we had to conquer death. God had to conquer death. Remember God's covenant with Abraham? God had supernaturally intervened in Abraham and Sarah's life. They were both beyond the ability to have their own children, but they had a son. And it was the beginning of the nation of Israel. God told Abraham that one of his descendants would bless the entire world through him. God told Abraham that those he rejected at the Tower of Babel, those nations that he spread all over the world to different geographic areas and changed their languages, they would be blessed through one of Abraham's descendants. But how could a mere man do that? Well, only God himself could be a loyal descendant of Abraham. He would fulfill that promise of that covenant to bless the nations outside of Israel. Israel, or Jesus, was a descendant of Abraham. And it's in the very first verse of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. He was the promised offspring that would release the people from those divorced nations that God separated at Babel. Those Gentiles, and you remember the word Gentile means not of Israel. So everything that was not of Israel, God's chosen people, could be brought back into the fold from those other gods that they worshipped. They could rejoin God's family. Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 gives us an in-depth look at how we can become part of Abraham's family. He says, God gave the promise to Abraham, his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. That is why I'm trying to say the agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise if that happened. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. And if you look in your bulletin insert on the side, it says, what does God want? We've established that God wanted a human family, and we are establishing today that God joined his human family because there's more to Jesus than just the nativity and the cross. Follow along with me as I drop down in Galatians chapter 3 to verses 26 through 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and you have been united with Christ in baptism, and you've put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now you belong to Christ. Now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Jesus was the fulfillment, the solution, fulfilling the covenant of Abraham. And Paul was writing to the Gentiles in this passage, to the church in Galatia, and he talks to us like we're putting on Christ, like we put on new clothes, like we wrap ourselves in Christ. And that's what this passage is telling us, to put on Christ as if you were putting on new clothes. Keep in mind this jacket, 
A little bit later, I want to bring it out in another illustration. Focus on, this is a quilted jacket, if you can't see, Paula didn't quilt this, but it is a quilted jacket, and it has little squares in it. So keep that in mind as we move on. Jesus was also a descendant of David. God made promises to David, and David, he said, through you, David, will an heir come that will rule the nations. And we read about Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and Luke chapter 1, 32 says the same thing. But also in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, a church, a Gentile church, it says the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. So Jesus was also the solution to fulfill the covenant that God made with David. He had the right ancestries. He was perfectly loyal to God, something that we struggle with. He never disobeyed God. Can you imagine Mary raising a perfect child? In one way, it would be a blessing. In one way, it would be very, very difficult. A child that would never disobey, that would never bring harm to her, would never turn to her, away from her. The fact that he never sinned meant that he was the perfect example of the purpose of God's laws and the covenants that he made at Sinai. Jesus gave the law at Sinai, but Jesus was the solution for fulfilling those laws that he gave at Sinai. So he was the perfect solution for the covenants, the promises, and the law. Jesus was the ultimate imager of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, and also in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. In Colossians, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created every, everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Christ created all things. That which we cannot see, the unseen world with heaven in its heavenly realm, and the earthly realm, which we can see. He illustrates to us how we are to be imagers of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was that perfect imager of God, and he wants us to conform to Jesus' example. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 puts it this way. Put on a new nature, like this jacket, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator because, and become like him. As we'll see later in our series, this is the same phrase that is meant by being a disciple of Christ, is to put on Christ's nature to tell others of Jesus Christ. God becoming a man is somewhat of an, a hard idea to, com, to, to grasp, a complex idea. How could God become a man? Well, the way he could do that is because God was more than one person. God was three persons who entire, in their entirety, their very essence of nature, their being was the same, but it was in three different persons. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that distinguishes these three people. 
these three persons. God called this, or what Christians refer to this as the Trinity. God the Son, one element of God's essence, who is at one in, in essence, became a man, the man Jesus. As I read earlier in John chapter 1, verse 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. Theologians call this the incarnation, and that just means that God came in the flesh. Jesus would be the only human God the Father could rely on to completely fulfill the covenants, the promises, and to overcome death. It had to be God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And you might recall that I mentioned earlier in our messages in this series that God knew from the foundations of the world what his plan was to redeem humanity. That he would send his son Jesus to bring his people back into his family. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 also says, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. The amazing thing is that God the Son was willing to become a man, to be tortured, to die, so that God could have us in his human family. Now here's one, how one section of the New Testament describes it. A conversation between Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father. When Christ came into the world, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through 7, it says, That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or the other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. It was a good thing that God the Son was willing to be born as Jesus. Not only were the covenants at risk, those promises that God had made, but overcoming the misery that was caused by those supernatural rebellions, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, they were also at stake. We must understand that those rebellions required that God had become a man in order for us to be out from under the requirements or the consequences of those rebellions. Because God joined in the human family, it set the stage for one of the most important events in all of history. And that was the event of this Holy Spirit, God in his spirit, the third person of the Godhead, to come and dwell with all humanity. And that is the only way that we can fully be within God's family. When that Holy Spirit at Pentecost for the first time came to indwell the, the Christians permanently. Prior to that, it would come and go. But now we are indwelled with God's Spirit all the time. But we see that it was more than just fixing the fall. On your other side of your bulletin insert today, when God joined his human family, all covenants were fulfilled, all the promises God made in the Old Testament. All rebellions were overcome, the rebellions we spoke about, and all death, the death started in the Garden of Eden, was extinguished. Because of the resurrection, our distance from God has been bridged. Because God became a man in Jesus, he could die. And that's the most important, because death is the only thing that could be defeated, could defeat death, is resurrection. And not resurrection like, 
Lazarus was raised from the dead because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It had to be a resurrection that God himself raised himself in the form of Jesus Christ from the dead. He had that power to bring himself back to life. John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, it's in your bulletin insert here. The Father loved me because I sacrificed my life, so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again. And that is what my Father has commanded. So it was the resurrection that Jesus Christ rose from the dead that overcame death so that we might have eternal life with God. Since the death of Jesus was already in God's plan, God knew before the foundations of the world that he would raise Jesus from the dead, as we're told in Acts chapter 2 and 3, chapter 10, in Galatians chapter 1. In the picture that's at the bottom of that page, because of the resurrection, our distance from God has now been bridged. We are no longer separated from God because the resurrection took care of death. Death was overcome. And those were the effects of the rebellion in Eden. The Adam and Eve problems caused by the temptation of that serpent, that evil one, also referred in the scriptures as the devil or the great Satan, they were solved. Everyone who believed in Jesus' death and resurrection were provided forgiveness of sin and everlasting life in God's family forever. Talks about that in Romans 4, 8, 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or 6. Once Jesus rose from the dead, though, he just couldn't stay here on earth. He had to ascend back to heaven. And that ascension was extremely important. Jesus ascended to heaven to take the his side on the throne right next to God the Father, as we're told in Mark 16, John 20, verse 20, Colossians 3, and Hebrews 12. This was the precursor of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And God knew the only way that he could have humanity in his family forever is if that Holy Spirit of his indwells each one of us. That allows us to be permanently within God's family. The coming of the Spirit was the fulfillment of the new covenant that was described in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel chapter 36. It would be the Spirit who would provide victory over our own depravity. We in our own nature would know very well on a daily basis that we're depraved individuals. We have a hard time doing what is right even when we want to. And it's only through the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us that we can have that victory over the depravity that we have and whose work it actually allows us to have a greater work than what Jesus Christ had. You say, well, that sounds strange. But John chapter 14, verse 12, as we studied that book last year, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. And those greater works is that now the message of Christ could spread throughout the entire world, whereas Jesus Christ, when he was a man, was confined to a space and time in Israel. Now that his spirit has come, it opens up Jesus Christ to the entire world, his presence with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. 
Jesus knew that his death and resurrection were vital for that new covenant to come to pass. And that's why at his last supper, Jesus told his disciples that his blood was a covenant of the, the blood of the covenant or a blood of the promise. And it was poured out on them in Matthew 26, 28, Mark 14, 24, and Luke 22, 20. Once Jesus has ascended back to heaven, the spirit then could descend to earth. Finally, humanity was not helpless against their depravity. And the bottom line is that God, for God to clean up the problems with having a human family, the perpetual failures and rebellions that was a cycle in the Old Testament, he had to become a man to fulfill the terms of the covenant himself. Because man could not fulfill those terms of the covenant, God fulfilled those through the person of Jesus Christ. And think about my original question to the message. What does God want? We've established he wants you. He wants me. He wants every human that was on the earth. And he sent his unique, his one and only son as Jesus to fix the problem of sin and death, to fulfill the covenants that humanity so that he, we could be brought back into his family forever. God joined his human family. There was no other way. There are many reasons why the gospel has nothing to do with our own behavior, our own ability to be righteous, of earning God's love and salvation. We can't do that. And the biggest of them is that it's insane to think that our imperfect behavior could ever be good enough to stand before the presence of God. The only way that that could ever be possible is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because we cannot earn our own salvation. And there's one more twist to the story today that I don't want you to miss. You may have wondered something, I know I have over the years, more than once, if the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ overturned the effects of that evil one, the devil, the Satan, and what he had done in that impeding the wickedness that permeated the world and amounted to taking away the authority of God in those people's lives from those wicked gods of the other nations that they followed. If that were the case, why in the world would Satan and his other evil spirits decide to kill Jesus? The scripture tells us plainly that he killed the, the, the devil prompted Christ's crucifixion. Why would they do that if they wanted to destroy humanity? That doesn't make sense. It reminds me of this film, movie of uh, a couple decades, maybe three or four decades now, Dumb and Dumber. It seemed blazingly stupid that they would crucify the very hope that they had to destroy humanity. But think about it. The devil tempted Christ in the wilderness in the same way that he tempted Adam and Eve. He said, but if you bow down and follow me, I will give you all of these worlds, everything you could hope for, all the kingdoms are mine to give. Fortunately, unlike Adam and Eve, Christ resisted that temptation. And he said, no. Have you not read in the scriptures? He was the word. And to think the devil was so naive to think he could talk to the word as if he could convince him of that. The key plan 
the key plan of God's plan was Jesus' death. Because if you don't have a death, you can't have a resurrection to overcome death. And Jesus could not have gone back to be with the Father unless he completed his full mission, his death, his burial, and most his resurrection over that death, the victory over death. And Jesus could not have been gone back to the Father unless he completed this mission. And the reason he had to ascend is so that he could send the Spirit to us. So if Satan and the other powers of darkness had just left Jesus alone and not interfered with him, God's plan would not have been succeeded. You might say, are they supernatural idiots? No. They were created as divine beings. And I've studied this topic a lot, and it's fascinating. The New Testament actually answers this question for us. It's talking about the good news, the gospel of Jesus that he preached, and the apostle Paul wrote about to his letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He says, no, the wisdom we speak of is a mystery of God. His plan was previously hidden, even though it was made for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of the world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. It reminded me of Paul in her quilting. She takes these little two-inch blocks, sometimes larger, and these little pieces, and she sews them into a pattern. But if you take any one of these little pieces and look at it, you have no clue, no idea what the quilt will look like. But when you see it in a finished product, like in this garment, where the little squares are pieced together, and you can see it as an entire cloak, a jacket, as we're to envelop ourselves with Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, all they had was bits and pieces to look at, and Satan would look at it and say, hmm, I think I got this thing figured out. I know what this quilt is going to look like by those pieces but they did not understand. Neither did most of the Old Testament saints because we have the advantage of looking back 2,000 years of church histories. We have the completed revelation of God. We have the completed Old Testament and New Testament. And we can say, aha, I see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament because of what I read in the New Testament. But they did not have that advantage. The rulers in the world that Paul used elsewhere for the evil members of the spirit world, it was the point is simple. Satan and his demons, those rival sons of God, did not know what God's plan was. They saw the pieces, but they did not understand. For sure, they knew that Jesus, when he started his ministry, that he was a chosen one. Even the evil demons called to Jesus when he, tried, when he exercised them from those people that were suffering from demonic possession. He says, Son of God, don't release me. Or, Son of the Most High. They knew who he was, but they did not know the plan. The Old Testament made it pretty clear that God still wanted a human family to rule with him, just like he originally planned with Eden. But Satan and his buddies, they guessed that with Jesus coming to earth, it was to get the ball rolling, but they thought, hey, if we kill the Son of God, then we'll destroy the plan, and all of humanity will have to be destroyed, and we will be returned to our rightful place. 
but they had no idea how. The logical thing in their view was to kill him. And that was the key to everything. Because by killing Jesus Christ, he could then be resurrected and overcome the death that was brought onto the world. It's easy for us to chuckle about how much more intelligent God is than any of these supernatural enemies. But you got to remember, these supernatural enemies were actually part of God's supernatural family until they turned and rejected God and said, I want to rule in the way I want to rule. They even tried to get the humans to participate with them. But let's not miss a point. God joined the family not so Satan as demons would look silly. He did it because he wanted you and his family. And he needed no other motive than this. You were enough motive for Christ to come to earth to die, to rise again, to ascend into heaven so he could send his spirit, that we would permanently be part of God's family. There's still more to the story, but that I have to wait till next week. Jesus did his part. We need to take a closer look now at the Spirit's role. And that's for a significant reason. Why did the Spirit come and dwell with us? Yes, so we can be part of God's family, but also to help us facilitate the roles of helping God recruit those who outside of the family back into his family. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We were immigrants once prior to coming into God's kingdom, and we are to help those fellow immigrants back into his kingdom so that they can receive their citizenship in God's kingdom. So now that God has joined his human family, we'll see next week that God pursues his human family. So I'd encourage you for next week to read John chapter 14, 26, 15, 26, Luke chapter 24, 49, and the second chapter of Acts in preparation for next week's message as we see how the spirit was integral in us coming back into God's family. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We do thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, that he became flesh and dwelt among us, that he not only became flesh and dwelt among us, but he also died, but he, more importantly, that he was ris rose again to overcome death, and that he ascended back to heaven so that you could send your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, Father. We praise your name for your provision for us that you knew before the foundations of the world, before creation ever began, that you wanted us in your family, and to do so, you had to become part of our, our, the human family. We thank you for this, Father. We pray that we might live lives that are pleasing to you out of a heart of love for you for being in your family. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.